Hey, seriously, thank you. Thank you for being here, taking time out of your life and schedule uh, to be here with us. Uh, we are uh, we're a community that's endeavoring to follow the person of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. Um, you're going to find out real quick, uh, I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he's completely changed my life, transformed my perspective of people and the globe and everything. And um, so kind of everything we do gets back to um, who is Jesus, what is he about, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and um, creation and leading this whole thing called planet Earth. Uh, and this place is troubled and challenged, and we need more faith, hope, and love. So here's, yeah, that's clappable. It's clappable. <laughs> I just got a haircut, and I just, you hate that feeling. I feel like there's hair just all over, and I feel itchy. Um, the dentist and haircuts. I hate them. I absolutely hate them. Um, but, hey, no matter what you believe about God, whatever you believe about faith, you know, a lot of, a lot of really difficult things and horrific things have been done in the name of Jesus and in the name of faith and religion. And so tonight, if you have hesitancy, that is only normal and natural. In fact, I, I urge you to ensure that what you're listening to tonight, that you do your, your research, that you talk about town with people to see, in fact, if what we're saying is true. Don't just take my word for it, that's for sure. Um, but no matter what you believe about God, no matter what you believe about Jesus, we actually have way more in common than we don't way more. And it just happens to be that we're all in the same part of the world around the same period in history trying to figure out this thing called life. And so we actually need more moments like this, more moments to think, more moments to reflect, more moments to prioritize or reprioritize, reorganize what matters in this life. And so um, this is our opportunity to do so. You are loved. You belong here. We're so glad that you're here. If there's anything we can do for you as a community, would you let us know? Um, you can connect with us and on our app, Church Home, or out in the lobby tonight. There's a Next Step Bar, and there's going to be really amazing, happy, wonderful people who aren't perfect but really close, and they are there. Del, Chelsea, were you laughing at that? My wife of 20 years just belly laughed right there. That means so much to me. Thank you for that. I'm good for the night. That was so awesome. Thanks, babe. You look so beautiful by the way. Um, it's true, it's true, it's true. So this is a very special night because my nephew is here, Everett Nash McKinney, and he's sitting on the front row, and I have to play it cool. He knows I'm talking about him right now, and my daughter Grace is sitting next to her. So Everett, I dedicate this night to you. I think he just went like this. Um, but Everett is two now? He'll be three in August. I knew that. Relax. Um, but I love him so much. I love you, buddy. We've been doing a collection of talks, and tonight um, I want to prepare you accordingly. Um, tonight I would like to endeavor to push the limits of candor and honesty. I'd like to talk about a subject that, when asked, people are undoubtedly the most uncomfortable with this topic in church, bar none, without question, no other topic compares. People actually wish the church talked more about sex, but there is, we're not talking about that tonight. I mean, Everett Nash is here. Relax, folks. Come on. He's not even three. Um, 
some of you are like, yes, but we're doing a series that we've, we've entitled, What I Wish More Preachers Would Say. What I Wish More Preachers Would Say. For instance, we've done a, a message, I wish more preachers would say I'm not okay. I wish more preachers would say I don't know either. Um, tonight, I, I wish more preachers would say, I think about money a lot. I didn't think you'd cheer. Um, I wish more preachers would say, I think about money a lot. And I'd like to weave into tonight's talk a little bit of my own personal journey with money. And whether you like it or not, we all have our own journey with money. We all have our own definition and relationship and encounters with money and what it matters, if it doesn't matter. We all have an attitude and an emotional disposition towards money. And I want to speak to that a little bit tonight. And then I'd like to look into what does Jesus have to say about money? You know what I love about Jesus? He did not avoid taboo subjects. He did not avoid subjects that actually are a very significant, considerable part of our entire life. And so tonight, my message, and uh, please buckle your proverbial seatbelts, but my message is I, I actually do wish, I wish more preachers, first of all, were more honest, and I wish they were more honest about this subject, that actually preachers think about money a lot. So we're going to talk about that. This might be the last time you ever join us here at Church Home, but I am going to be very honest. All right, Matthew chapter 6 is where I'm going to go. We're going we're to look at the words of Jesus in one of the great, if not the greatest sermon ever preached, Sermon on a Mountaintop. And Matthew chapter 6, verses, verse 19 is where we'll begin reading. If you don't have a Bible, please, no worries at all. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen for your reading enjoyment. And at the conclusion of the talk here, the message, the band will come back, and we're going to use music to reflect, think about, worship God. And, um, and then Anne-Marie will come on the stage and close us out. And hopefully you have plans to be together with friends, loved ones, and prospective loved ones. <laughs> Hello. Okay. It, you guys always nervous laugh. It's the same every week. Make that joke. <laughs> oh, God, I wish. Um, Matthew 6 and verse 19. Did I say 6 or 6? All right. Here we go. Was that, la was that last? Were you speaking here or was it Kirkland? It was in Seattle. Chelsea said, turn to verse 36. And she goes, oh, my gosh. And from the front row, I go, thank you, God. Yeah, it's on her mind. That's where it all starts. So Matthew 6, verse 19. You can get something out of this message. Here we go. Jesus says, do not lay up treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? It's obvious. The place where your treasure is, the place where your treasure is, the place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be, comma, and end up being. Wow. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live life squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank 
cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. Whoa, this teaching on money just got really intense. You can't worship two gods at once, Jesus says. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. It is so interesting to me that upon teaching about money, Jesus concludes this brief section, we could read more, talking about worship. In other words, money is connected to worship. I, I wish more preachers would say, I think about money a lot. Now, I do want to be honest, because I said I would be very candid tonight. Chelsea goes, actually, Judah, you think about money less than anyone I know. And that's true. But I think about real estate a lot. And that's another way to think about money. Okay, so I think about Redfin and Trulia a lot and Zillow. And I just enjoy real estate. So we're in this together. I think about money a lot. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the moments we share. I actually do ask that you would prepare us on what is for so many of us an uncomfortable topic. I pray you would help us to see the purpose in it. I pray you'd help us to see the meaning in it. And more importantly, I, help, I pray you'd help us see what is truly valuable, what truly matters in this life. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Thank you for the Seahawks. Let the Lakers get all, let, let LeBron get Anthony Davis, the Clippers get Kawhi and KD. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want that. It would be so fun. LA would be the center of the basketball universe. That's a good thing. None of you care. <laughs> My dad was a preacher, and so obviously it goes without saying I grew up in a preacher's home, and my dad was my hero. I love my dad. My dad was an incredible man of integrity. He handled finances with the utmost integrity. He built absolute, absolutely a very uh, secure, trustworthy community that we are now a part of. It started in 1992 with 22 people in a suburb of Seattle called Bellevue, Washington. And I watched my dad for many, many years handle his finances with the highest of integrity. I'll never forget, Dad was going on a trip to Boston where he was going to tell the story of Jesus to some Bostonians. And woo! And, and he said, son, do you want to go with me? I was 13 at the time, and man, nothing better than traveling with Dad, watching him preach. I loved hearing my dad preach. I probably heard my dad preach thousands and thousands of times. It never got old to me. I got to admit it, it really didn't. I looked up to my dad. My dad was always an inch taller than me. He had big quarterback hands, played quarterback in high school. He had just a soothing voice. He was, uh, he was the most epic father. He, he felt like a father to so, so many people felt like he was their father. I wish you could meet him. He was the most hugging, loving, caring, sensitive, empathetic, passionate person you'll ever meet. And so I love traveling with my dad. So we flew to Boston. And of course, we'd get up in the morning in the hotel room. I'd wake up and there would be my dad on his knees. My dad believes you're going to pray. You got to get on your knees. Most of the time he was on his knees and he'd be praying for, he prayed about two hours every morning. I cannot claim that at all, but that's what dad did. And in that morning, he said, son, tonight, would you, like, would you like to speak before I speak? Maybe take about five, ten minutes. And by this time, I had been on stage with Dad quite a bit. We traveled uh, almost every state in, in, in the Union except North and South Dakota for obvious reasons. And um, <laughs> that's, 
that's heartless. But and starting at about eight years old, my dad would bring me on the stage and I would tell my testimony of, 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 of almost dying three times before I was two. And, and dad would say, you know, I believe my son has a destiny. And so I really believed that. This is kind of how I was raised. And, and uh, it was pretty obvious from a really young age, man, I want to tell people about Jesus. I really like doing this. I want to be a lot like my dad. So by the time we're in Boston, I'm 13 years old. I've already preached my first official full-length sermon. It was at a junior high night, and my message was entitled, Peer Pressure. <laughs> and, and that was my message, and it wasn't very good, but I made some people laugh, and, and I remember thinking, man, I really enjoyed that. So we get to Boston. He says, do you want to speak? I said, absolutely, I want to speak right? Absolutely. He's like, okay, son. So sure enough, he says, hey, before I speak tonight, it's so good to be here. There's a few hundred people in the room. He said, you know, I want my son, who's, he's going to be a preacher. I want him to come up and just, you know, share something with you. So I got up and I re-preached my whole message on peer pressure. In addition, I also preached that sermon at a preaching competition and I won. But anyways, that's not important. Or maybe it is. <laughs> I think about winning a lot too. But I got up and did my best for 10 minutes, right? Got done. That was so fun. And my dad was always an encourager. It really, I mean, it didn't matter too much what I said. He was always going to say, oh, my goodness, son, that's just the best thing I ever heard. People loved it. I'm so proud of you. And we were probably out at Chili's or something afterwards with some of the pastors there in Boston. That was amazing. And we're sitting in a booth. I'll never forget. I don't know if it was Chili's, but I know it was in a booth, and I was having a burger and fries, and I'm sitting next to my dad. And the pastor across the booth says, Judah, we'd like to give you something. And I thought to myself, and I would like to receive it. And he hands me an envelope, and written on it is Judah. And I said, what's this? He says, we, we, would, like to, we would like to thank you for speaking, and we'd like to give you a gift. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope this is like gift certificates, you know, it's a Burger King or Red Robin. And open it up, it was a check for $100. A hundred, and I said, I said, what is this for? He said, that's what we call an honorarium. I said, I don't know what that means, but I like honorariums. <laughs> and I remember sitting in that booth in Boston. I would say Massachusetts, but it's so hard to say. In Boston, thinking to myself, wait, they will pay you for this? I sure did. It had, my dad had kept me from so much of that stuff. I promise you, I had no idea that you could go tell people about Jesus and they would give you money for it. I thought, this is not a bad deal. I'm going to be honest with you now. I'm 40 now and hopefully I've grown a little bit. But I was thinking, wow. Now I remember going back to the hotel that night with my dad. I said, Dad, what are you, my world was just imploding. I was like, what, Dad, wait a minute, preachers have, have money for sneakers? Preachers? Preachers, don't do this to me. You guys bait me. This is your fault. <laughs> Preachers get paid for this. And never forget, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a solemn night because I think my dad realized what he was, he was playing with fire a little bit. Some, but that's not why we do it. Yes, sir. No, dad, I, I, I yeah, but, I, but, but, but seriously? Like, you can speak and then people will... Yeah, and I remember praying with my dad, so spiritual. My dad was amazing. He said, I want us to pray. 
And we will always do this to serve people, to see people meet Jesus. We're not doing this for money. And I think, to be honest, I think we cried together that night. It was kind of a moment where my dad is looking at his son who's kind of going, whoa, wait a minute, this is awesome. Like there's economics involved in this. I didn't know. Well, it's been a long time since I've been 13. And I've had the opportunity as a preacher, and I don't mean to make this whole message of just about my journey. I hope that it parallels in some ways to yours, and that would be the only way that it would matter most tonight in this room. But I've been a preacher now um, uh, more than 20 years. I've been preaching for two decades. I started preaching consistently at 16, so actually it's 25. I don't, I'm terrible with math. A long time. And since then, a lot of people have handed me an envelope and said, thank you for preaching. And it's been an interesting journey. It's been a really interesting journey. I wish I could sit here tonight and tell you that um, money doesn't matter to me. Money doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm in this. I'm doing this just for God and people. But that's not always true. And I just wish more preachers would say that. Um, money is a revealer, isn't it? It's a revealer. Money, when it's not on the table, nobody's talking about it, it's cool. But when it's on the table, all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, right? That 13-year-old boy in Boston, man, I was giddy in that booth, look, eating my burger and fries, talking about that was so fun telling people about Jesus. I had no thought of money until it was in an envelope. And I looking at my dad like, this is the greatest thing ever. But I've had a lot of opportunities since then to check myself. Why am I doing this? What is this about? Um, I'm going to tell you the truth. I go back to Boston and that 13-year-old kid in that booth with a burger and fries a lot. Because that guy, all he wanted to do was, he wanted to be like Jesus, but he always wanted, he wanted to be like his dad. And I thought it was just so cool when my dad would tell people about Jesus and it would matter to them and it would mean something to them and you could see it in their countenance, in their face that what my dad had shared from this, the most amazing book ever written, was really helping them, aiding them, giving them courage or strength or relieving their fear or their anxiety or their worry or their sense of lostness and brokenness. And I remember watching since I was eight, standing on the stage, looking at people's faces, going, this is the greatest thing ever. But it wasn't until I was 13, it dawned on me, there's also money involved in all this. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it can become a bad thing. Money is neither good nor bad. Let's say that before we go any further. It is what you do with it. You'll never find in the teachings of Jesus any teaching against money. Jesus does not teach against money. Money is a practical, significant aspect of the human journey and human existence. That's why Jesus talked about it. Jesus has a perspective. Jesus has a plan. And I think tonight, Jesus can help each and every one of us. I don't mean to project my problems or my shortcomings or my journey on you, but do you think about money a lot? Do you think about money? Can, can you imagine just, just by the sheer numbers in this auditorium, this theater tonight, how many of us currently right now are worked up emotionally, significantly worked up emotionally 
simply because. I shouldn't say simply. Because of money. Because of money. And by the way, we've said this before, but Biggie was right. Sometimes like, man, if I had money, I wouldn't have money problems. No, mo money, mo problems. Like it, so the range is varied tonight. It could be because you have a lot of it, and now you got all kinds of friends, and you're wondering which ones are real and not. All of a sudden, every family member in the world has always, always loved you, and you are their favorite. Or you have no idea how you're going to pay the rent in just a few days. Money. I, I don't mean to force you into this, but I would venture to say that most of us think about money quite a bit. Quite a bit. For me, um, again, in an effort to be candid, not only do I think about money, income, providing for my family, maybe a new house, a new place, something, but I also think about money um, pastorally a lot, a lot. Paying for this theater, taking care of people in our church, think about it a lot. I'm the chairman of the board here in this community. That also includes our budget, our finances. I think about it a lot. I try to check myself before I come on the stage so that I never do what Jesus never did, and that is manipulate people or do a hard sell or force anybody to give anything. Now, Jesus was so compelling because of who he was. People want not just to give their money, they want to give their life for him. But it's hard sometimes walking on this stage when not only personally do you have to, in some practical ways, think about your budget and your finances and your resources, but also professionally, as a pastor, you've got to think about it for the community. And I just wish more preachers would admit that if they're not thinking about money on stage, it's because they worked real hard before they got on stage to not. Because it's a big part of what happens here. It always has. It always has. It was supposed to be organic. It was supposed to be natural. But the very first church, people started just willingly, not out of obligation, but willingly started giving monies to the community so they could continue to reach people, love people, care for people, and take, take care of people. So it's always been a part. So again, I want to remind you before we go any further, tonight is not an anti-money night. No, no, that's, that's no, no. God, economics, this, he is all directly or indirectly responsible for this construct that we call economy. God is not against money, but he'd like to speak on the subject. He says this, he says, um, you need, we'll just make a few observations and then we'll conclude. He says, lay up for yourselves, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. We could just put the beginning, verse 19 up on the screen. It's obvious, isn't it? Actually, just a little bit before that, verse 19, if we could, guys, because I just want to read it in the, in the message. Verse 15's great, too, but if, there it is. Yeah, it's great, it's great, it's great. <laughs> I'm a nightmare to try to follow. I don't blame you. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven. Now, this really gets me to giggles because Christians invented this bumper sticker where they have this car that's all beat up and broken down, and they put this bumper sticker on the back of this beat-up car, and it says, my treasure is in heaven. Y'all remember this, right? And, and by the way, some of us grew up in spaces where if you had next to nothing, that was a sign you were more spiritual. 
Remember this? This was like this has been. It's still a thing. Let's be honest, okay? Where it's like, yeah, we we have nothing. Yeah, isn't isn't my broken down car awesome? And I have nothing because my treasure is in heaven. Okay, that is once again a gross application, and it is not what Jesus means. What he's saying here is, what can you take with you? What can you take with now? Jesus is trying to say, you live in time and space. That is so small and limited and finite, it's a vapor. You are eternal beings that will live in a place called forever. You're going to live in a place called forever. It's named eternity. Eternity means forever. Our destiny is forever. That's, home is forever. That's why we can't process death and the end of something. It is Forever. So we will all live forever. So Jesus, temporarily living within time and space in physical, visible form, says, hey, when it comes to money, I want you to think in terms of treasure. And treasure is defined by this. Treasure is what you can take with you past the grave. What can you take with you? Past? If you can't take it with you, don't put your confidence in it and don't orient your life around it and don't make that your focus because it won't last. Now, ironically, Jesus says rust and moth. And the reason for this is about 2,000 years ago, when people were stockpiling or savings accounts, they, they consisted of two primary things. They consisted of expensive cloth and precious metals. Now, I can't help but look back 2,000 years ago and go, <laughs> expensive cloth and precious metals? They were living for cloth and metal? <laughs> That's dumb. I mean, come on, let's be honest. We can look back right now at 2019 people and look back at these ancient people 2,000 years ago and you're like, Jesus actually had to tell you, quit collecting cloth and precious metals. What? Yeah, don't make your life about expensive material and precious metals. Think about that. Now let's just say the earth goes another 2,000 years. Could it be that 2,000 years from now, a whole nother people group would be like, wait, so people were making their life about flat screens and shoes and cars? And homes that didn't float? Like homes that were like on the ground? Wait, people made that the focus of their... <laughs> we would never. And it does put in perspective, doesn't it? You want to go back to these people 2,000 years ago and be like, oh my gosh, guys, precious metals and cloth, what a waste of time. Don't do that. And it's like, oh... Then you translate it into our day and age, and you're like, oh, man, are we falling for the same trick? Living our lives for stuff and things? Jesus is not against stuff. He's not against things. He's not anti your flat screen. He's not anti your car or your sneakers. Everybody relax. But is that our focus? Is that where we put our confidence? Because Jesus says only what is forever is true treasure. And that, so when, anytime we talk about money, let's define what it is. Money, here's the, great, here's the great story about money. Money can actually be used 
for what is forever. Yeah. I'll tell you what you have with you forever. Memories. Memories. And that's why, to me, it's like saving money. I believe in it. We could talk about that. Our budget system, how Chelsea and I do this, and I believe in saving money and all that, and I do want to have enough money to live for like 20 years in the desert with my wife and have wine every night, deal with it. So, <laughs> but I don't want to save money and miss memories. The goal of life, according to Jesus, is not just to save a bunch of money and not use it for what is forever. What's forever? Relationships? Friendships? Relationships. Are you? Now, we, now, hold on a second, because you're like, Judah, this is pretty obvious stuff, man. You got anything a little bit more profound tonight? Or <laughs> brought a friend. Um, <laughs> but wait a minute. We, we ruin friendships based on money. We cut off friends. For money. They say one of the quickest ways to, to, to ruin a relationship is going to business together. Because they say, once money, down here they say, once money gets involved, well, you ever heard this? I mean, I know, I hear Christians all the time, but one of the best advice I ever got is don't go into business with family. Don't go into business with friends. Because evidently our nature is to sacrifice what is forever for what is finite. And I just want to say, I vacillate too. Here's what I vacillate from. I vacillate from, hey, money can't make you happy. Versus, but could I try and see if it does? <laughs> I love really wealthy people who are like, it won't make you happy. I'm like, yeah, but you got to try. I need to try. <laughs> right? But it is crazy. One day you'll be like, yeah, I don't need money, man. I'm good. I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to give it all away. What car was that? Maybe just that, Lord. Jesus. Now vacillate. Because money is such an emotional thing. Right? It's amazing. Us preachers, we can preach about giving money away and living for Jesus. And in the moment, a lot we really mean it, right? But like anybody else, money is on the mind a lot. And it's a gut check, heart check. Wait, what am I, what am I doing this for? I don't want to live my life for cloth and metal. How funny does that sound? Man, so what's like one of your big goals this year? More expensive cloth and precious metal? I'm sorry, what, bro? Yeah, I collect them. That's so dumb. It wasn't 2,000 years ago. It was so real, Jesus spoke right to it. People were making it. This is how they determined whether or not they were worth something, whether or not they were successful. Does that translate at all? And Jesus says, no, I want you to focus on what's forever. He, 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 he goes on and he says, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. Let, let, let's read it in the Message Bible. It's verse 22. He says, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. Do you read this and go, are we still talking about money? Are we still, what? If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body, your body is a dank cellar 
What? If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you'll have. We, we, we talking about cloth and metal? What are we talking about? Suddenly, here's my second observation. Look how much money affects your life and body. It can actually affect you physically. Greed can hurt your body. That's what Jesus says. He says all of a sudden you get stingy. You get the, he's basically saying beware of the evil eye of greed. It can cause a darkness to come over your life. Nothing's enough. Greed is that insidious desire for more with no end. I need more. Greed has one sermon and it preaches it all day long. And the sermon goes something like this. Once you get that, you'll be happy. And man, we keep listening to the same sermon. Greed only has one. You need that. Once you have, this is right, the word need. Greed likes to use the word need. You need that. You ever had that combo when your kid's like, Dad, we need this. And I'm like, please, don't ever, we, we need air. We need water. We need Jesus. We can't say need when we're talking about basketball cards. We, you, you be happy when you get there. And man, I have podcasted that sermon so many times. Bought in, did it, got it, and then went, wait, wait, what? Here comes greed. What's wrong? I, I'm, I'm not really happy. That's because you also need that. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, there'll be a darkness in your soul. There'll be a darkness in your soul. There'll be like cloud coverage. You're like, man, things are just cloudy. Things are hazy in my life. Be, be careful. It's, 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 it's what money can do to your soul. And then, and then look, look, look at this. He says in verse 24, um, you can't worship two gods at once. Did you say gods? Yeah, loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. Okay, Jesus, are you trying to tell us that money is either a master or a servant and there's no in between? Yep. Money is only one of two things. It is a master in your life or it is a servant in your life, there is no in-between. There is no neutrality. There's no neutrality. We play pretend that there's neutrality with money. There is not. You have to make a decision. Is money going to serve me, or am I going to serve money? There's a term used in Scripture. Some of you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. It's actually the term mammon, and it's actually what the money tra is translated here. And it speaks, mammon is a God-like concept that money wants to master you. Money wants to direct you. Money wants to lead and guide your decisions. And Jesus is clearly warning against this. He's saying if money becomes your source of confidence, if money becomes your focus, if money is the, connect, is, is the direct connection you have with your emotions, your money starts to determine your emotional disposition, you're going to develop contempt for the only true God. And here's what happens, I'm being honest. 
Jesus followers who love Jesus, God does not deliver on their expectations financially and they literally start getting mad at God. And that's a scary place to be. He said, Judah, how do you know that? Because I've been there. That gets us back to life's not fair, especially financially. Life's not fair. And so we allow money to move in. We allow money to tell us what our priorities should be. Can I just give you a rule of thumb? It usually, rarely, if ever, works out in your favor when you make a decision only based on money. I think you should make a decision based on God and what he values. Can I just interject, P.S., just from a pastoral moment, if you are currently right now facing a very significant decision in your life and money is involved, can I urge you to ask yourself hard questions, have other people in the community ask you hard questions, because I'm telling you, it often, rarely, if ever, ends in your favor when you make a significant decision just based on money. How do you know that? Because I've done it. I've done it. And if you've never done that, you are Mother Teresa, and we're so honored that you're here. <laughs> but for the rest of us, it's like, wait, I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to do that, but what did you say? We would like to compensate you. Well, I just felt like God changed his mind, and he told me I need to be there a part of what you're doing. Yeah, that's, yeah, I wish more preachers would say I, I sometimes do things for money. And money can quickly become a master instead of a servant. All right, so not the most encouraging observations, but noteworthy. And then I want us to go back to one of the pithiest phrases Jesus is ever quoted saying. It's in verse 16, excuse me, verse 21, Matthew 6 and verse 21. Jesus says this, isn't it obvious it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be, and it's where you'll end up being. So I'd like to share with you, in conclusion, I'm, I'm done in the next six minutes, the next six minutes. <laughs> but, that was weird, but, you know, he, you're like, I didn't need, that wasn't necessary. That was ridiculous. <laughs> Ev's right there. Um, Since I was that 13-year-old boy in Boston looking at a $100 check, a lot has happened in my life. And I'm not necessarily proud of some of these moments, but there have been seasons, there have been moments in my life where it's gone something like this. How did I get here? How did I get here? That 13-year-old boy in Boston, uh, he was far from perfect, that's for sure. Definitely a rascal. But I had some wide-eyed wonder. Well, my eyes were wide open. I, I just thought Jesus was everything. Loved my dad, wanted to be like him, and I just thought the coolest thing in the world was to tell people about Jesus. I really did. I really did. I really did. Well, since then, I've been living, honestly, a dream. It's been amazing. I, I, I married the only woman I've ever loved. We have the three most incredible children. I get to pastor the greatest church in the world. It's amazing. You're, and I mean you're amazing is what I mean, by the way, just to be clear. 
Um, but since I was 13, now I'm 40, I've had probably more than a handful of moments where I've had to ask myself, how did I get here? Meaning, am I living for cloth and metal? Did I trade the savior of the universe and the lover of my soul for cloth and metal? Have I got caught up? What am I doing here? Then it got worse. This has happened multiple times. The rabbit hole gets deeper and I start to go like this. Am I a fake? Has this whole thing been a facade? Have I been in this for a lot of economical reasons? Is this just the career path I chose? And man, you have those dark nights of the soul. And I just wish more preachers would talk about it. Because the 13-year-old kid didn't know that there would be a board of elders who would say, hey, we got to make sure the finances are okay and I'm going to have a family and children and write books and do these things and do some business endeavors in church. And all of a sudden, man, I, am I? Wait a second. But, of course, we do our best as preachers to tell everybody it's not about money, it's not about economics, and yet it's a big part of the world. So, so I have these moments talking to myself, and I'm like, Am I, am, am I, am I, am, am I fake? Am I, can I be honest with you? Like, yeah, I've seen people do not so great things in churches with money. I've heard stories. I thank God it wasn't my mom and dad, but I've heard stories. And you just start to wonder, like, would I, would I do this if I, if there wasn't any compensation? And maybe you said, Judah, I'm really not a preacher. You kind of lost me, man, at the end here. Um, but have you ever felt like a fake? Have you ever felt like, did I start following Jesus for what was in it for me? Did I, did I decide that Jesus was the right way because it was the best way to have success, perceived success, or I saw, is that why I'm doing this because it sells. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. This stuff sells. People willingly trust each other. I'm a Christian, man. Come on, brother. Oh, okay, yeah. And all of a sudden, I mean, if we're not going to be honest, let's just like, you know, let's just wrap up and, and, and go to Chili's. But I have felt like a fake. And that leads us to a concluding story. Peter is one of the 12 disciples. We think he's the only one over 21. If you don't know the story, very briefly, Peter denies Jesus three times in a matter of approximately an hour, 60 minutes. He, he denies Jesus while Jesus is in the most agonizing moments of his life. Peter says, I don't know the man. No, I don't know. That's not me. Aren't you? No, that's not me. 
Peter abandons the one he swore he would always stand by. Story goes, Jesus dies on the cross, hangs there for six hours, dies on the cross, buried in a rich man's tomb. Meanwhile, back in Peter's life, he is concluded he's a fake. He goes back to his old job, which is fishing. The story goes, in John's gospel, Jesus shows up. It's supernatural. It's amazing. Jesus starts fixing Peter breakfast. And a very wonky conversation unfolds. It's, very, it's, it's, it's hard to understand. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And suddenly you conclude Jesus is now questioning whether or not Peter's the real deal. And I remember thinking this in relationship to economics because money is a revealer. And when it starts, all of a sudden you're like, am I doing this for money? It's like one of the telltale signs. You're a fraud. You're a fake. You're only doing this because it benefits you financially. You say it's for mission. You say it's for love. You say it's because of forgiveness. You say it's because of Jesus. But look, it's revealed. And the pressure, like money, revealed that Peter maybe didn't love Jesus. Maybe it was all talk. Maybe he's not real. And I think Peter has pretty much concluded, I'm, I'm a fake. So Jesus says, do you love me? Peter has to be in such emotional agony. He goes, I, I do. I do. It was more like, I think I do. Do you think I do? Jesus asks again, do you love me? Jesus does not repeat questions on accident or because he's unsure or unclear. He asks questions to make statements. Do you love me? Peter exasperated the Bible. So he says, you, you, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Jesus asks a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know. In other words, I don't know if I know. You know that I love you. And this encounter is not about Jesus figuring out whether or not Peter's a fake. This is about Peter figuring out whether or not he's a fake. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Peter, I came to your old job to find you, to let you know you're not a fake. You screwed up. You were selfish. You abandoned me. It hurt. But I know you love me. And I went to that passage. I've been more than once, trust me. I've preached more than one sermon on that passage because that passage has spoken to me so many times. And here's my conclusion. When it comes to money, I'm going to need Jesus to fix me breakfast more than once. I'm going to need him to find me in those moments where I'm starting to wonder, is this all ego and economics? Am I? Am I the thing I despised growing up? Have I become a part of the problem, no longer a part of the solution? Is that why we're doing this? Maybe you can relate. 
Man, you fell in love with Jesus. This is amazing. And before long, you feel more like a church connoisseur, a church critic, a professional Christian trying to build brands and visions and ideas so you can make resource and money. And you're starting to go, wait a minute, has mission turned into just profit? I'm a fake. You say, how will I figure it out? You won't unless Jesus meets you. And that same Jesus that met a broken, disillusioned, hurting man named Peter is the same Jesus that will meet you because he's met me. And he comes not to condemn. He comes not to critique. He knows that you're human. He knows that you're dust. He comes to remind you that you are not a fake and you do love Jesus. But when it comes to money, we vacillate. And what we need time and time again is the point of it all to encounter us again. To take me back to the 13-year-old boy in Boston and say, that's still in you. And you know why God knows that you love him and I love him? Because he put the love in my heart to love him with. And I would just like to say, you said, Judy, you can't say this. I'm just going to take a risk and say it. I don't believe you're a fake. I don't believe that this is just about economics or about economics really much at all. I don't believe that's why we're here. I think we all have our moments, our times, our seasons. We vacillate. It's difficult. It's challenging. But I think like Peter, we've beaten ourselves up. And we've concluded that's not who we are. I think Jesus wants to remind us tonight who we are. I think about money a lot, but Jesus is helping me think about him more. Think about him more. Jesus says to Peter, you love me so much, you're going to die for me. This is the ultimate honor. We read that passage and think Peter must have been sad that he was going to die, but in that moment, Jesus says, you're going to give everything for me. And man, what, what must have filled Peter's heart? I'm not a fake. I do love you. And you know what's amazing? I don't know if Peter lives the life he lives without that true moment. I don't think he lives that life. Because he'll always be able to look back to breakfast with Jesus and say, he told me who I was. He told me who... I was. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for the moments that we share. I thank you for what you're speaking, what you're saying. Um, we, um, we want this life to be about you. And oh God, we want this church to be about you. Help us to treat money like you taught us to. Help us to be emotionally connected to you. I'm asking that you would always protect the integrity of church home. That God, we would use finances and resource for the very thing they were given for. Thank you, God. We trust you. We trust you. And God, I do ask that you would you would compel us 
for any of those that are open and willing to be more generous in this life with people around them. And I pray you'd, you'd fill us with desires for that, to be givers, to be people that use money for what lasts forever. We do want to be those kind of people. We thank you for that. God, for every single person under the sound of my voice who feels because of their relationship to money that somehow they don't love you or it wasn't real or it wasn't authentic or it wasn't legitimate, I pray right now that the same way you reminded Peter, you would remind us. And we love you. And we do love you, Jesus. You are the treasure of all nations. You are the lily of the valley. You are the rose of Sharon. You are the definition of value and treasure. And we love you. And we do want to give our lives to following you, this great adventure. We thank you for that. If you're here tonight and today and you'd say, Judah, I'd like to become a follower of Jesus, I'd like to um, give you an opportunity to do that. It only takes a moment just a moment of accepting the forgiveness that only Jesus offers. And so if, 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 um, if you'd like to accept the forgiveness that only Jesus offers, I'm gonna ask you just in this moment of just people closing their eyes just for privacy, you know, ever, ever, ever want anyone to feel embarrassed. But if, if, not if you feel obligated or you feel pressure, but if you know that Jesus is God and he's the only one that can forgive you of your error, your wrong, and your sin, and you wanna follow him, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand wherever you are watching on the app, wherever you are in this auditorium, or wherever you are in Seattle. If you said, Judah, that's me. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. One, two, three. If that's you, just shoot up your hand all over the room. That's me. I believe and I receive the forgiveness of Jesus. God, we thank you. Thank you that forgiveness flows freely here at Church Home because of what you've done. We thank you for that. We love you so much. And we thank you for the extraordinary plan you have prepared for each of us in this life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you're willing and able, would you stand with us and let's sing together about our God.